hear the word of our Lord from Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in the 22nd verse. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week we talked about how husbands, by fulfilling their duties as husbands, their biblical duties and their responsibilities, uh, measuring up to the role given to them that St. Paul describes in Ephesians 5, how they can have a dynamic and powerful marriage. And the husband is called to the harder job in marriage. He has to put himself last in just about everything. If there's something he wants to do for himself, whether his health, recreation, whatever, that's got to be on his own time. He has to carve that out. I speak as somebody that has to wake up at 5 o'clock every morning if I want to exercise because there's just so much to do for my family. So the husband is the warlord of the family. I know some people would say he's supposed to be the king of his castle, but it's not like Renaissance kings. It's not the guy that sits back, looks at his army, and goes, Fight! He doesn't just live in luxury, getting pampered. Oh, no, 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 no. The husband is the man who makes things happen. He is supposed to be the Genghis Khan or the Attila the Hun of the family. He is the one making things happen. But he is also the priest of his family. He represents Christ in the marriage, so he has to take responsibility for everybody's sins, both his wife's sins and his children's sins, and seek our Lord's absolution for them. He is responsible for the sanctification of his wife even more than he is responsible for her well-being, her having shelter, food, clothing, emotional well-being, etc. The husband is supposed to be the oak. But there is so much ink spilled, so many keyboards broken with little tippity-tippity actions about husbandly responsibilities, and very little is spoken of regarding the wife's duties in marriage. Didn't used to be the case, but these days nobody wants to talk about it because the moment you do, 
angry women go on the rampage, accusing the pastor, the theologian, or whoever of being an abuse enabler, of dehumanizing women, of saying they are worth nothing, and didn't you know how abusive my first or second marriage was, and you are justifying marital rape or whatever. This is the first thing that you will encounter whenever you speak about the duties and responsibilities of wives in marriage. In large part, you might say this is due to the influence of feminism, but I disagree. This is not the influence of feminism. This is the influence of sin. This is the influence of sin for which entire movements were created. Feminism didn't just show up all of a sudden when the suffragettes were bombing buildings in Britain. They didn't just decide one day, hmm, you know, I want to be an independent and strong woman. I'm interchangeable with a man now, and I'm going to have my way. No, this is from sin. Things like feminism show up because our culture gets more sinful over time. As Europe and America started abandoning the faith en masse, of course all sorts of movements justifying sin were going to crop up. The problem that we have these days, though, is that the church doesn't want to tell the truth to wives. They really don't. You know what St. Paul means when he says, submit to your husband? It means do what he tells you. The husband is supposed to be the unquestioned head of the family, the patriarch, etc. How do we know this? Because St. Paul compares marriage to the relationship between Christ and his church. What does Christ say to the apostles in Matthew 28? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. What is the husband supposed to be? He is the priest and the leader of the family, heavenward and earthward. He is the head. He is the patriarch. If somebody tells you, oh, the Greek word for head just means source, you don't have to submit to him in everything. Really? Do those Christian thinkers believe that the church doesn't have to submit to Christ in everything? Do we tell Jesus, I don't have to submit to you? Hmm. Sounds like somebody who says that isn't a Christian. To the contrary, I would say somebody that says things like that wants your marriage to die. In fact, they want your marriage to be nothing but conflict. They want you fighting with and arguing with your husband so that you get divorced and then they can quote-unquote minister to you because they'll tell you that you are incapable of sin. Let's take a look real quick at the book of Titus, chapter 2, which adds another responsibility to wives. From Titus chapter 2, verse 3, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, in verse for when it says to train the young women to love their husbands, it is not agape love. Your husband's job is to have agape love. 
This love here is phileo, friendship love. You are to be friendly and affectionate to your husband. When St. Paul uses the word philandrus, he's saying friend to the husband. You should be the best friend that your husband has ever had. This notion of like the handmaid's tale Christianity or whatever, where like women are these quiet and super reverent submissive wives that never speak a word unless spoken to. You are a slave because you have to do what he says. That characterization of it misses what St. Paul says in Titus. Yes, headship is non-negotiable, but the foundation of a marriage is love. Agape from husband to wife and phileo from wife to husband. Your husband should question whether he wants to hang with the bros because it's more enjoyable, generally speaking, to hang out with you. The foundation of your marriage does not have to be one of mere authority or mere physicality. Yes, headship is a thing. It is absolutely biblical. And yes, sex is a big part of marriage. This is the sex and marriage series, not the covenant and marriage series. <laughs> Everything is covenant, legal contract. Blah, 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 blah. No, that's not us. Christian marriage should be one of deep love, yes. It should be a matter of authority, yes. It's also one of friendship. It should be fun. What does he like to do for relaxation, for R&R, for recreation? We'll support him in that. Try to participate in it, and if it's really not your thing, well, okay, you can still appreciate what he's doing. I like doing karate. It's a passion of mine. My wife doesn't. That's not her thing. But she'll be there to help make sure, hey, you know, his gi is clean, his belt is ready to go, his equipment's in his bag, and I'm going to send him off with a smile when he goes out to go practice. That's supporting your husband in a friendly way. But my wife and I, we also love watching movies together. We also love going out together, having fun, even with our kids, because that friendship is a bedrock that will keep your marriage from falling through the cracks. A marriage that is based solely on authority, as both the feminist crowd and the rad-trad crowd would say, is going to become a marriage based on resentment. Because you will never submit enough to that man for him to never feel like you messed up sometimes. And he will never be a perfect leader in the family, leading you to go, well, why isn't he doing a stinking job? And maybe he even acts selfish sometimes, even though he's not supposed to. And you're going to be tempted to say, oh, well, he's not loving me as Christ loves the church. Therefore, I don't have to submit to him as the church submits to Christ. So, mm-mm-mm-mm. No, that's not how this works. The authority is part of it. Same thing goes with sex, by the way, because a marriage that is built solely on sex is going to be a marriage that decays over time. Kids get in the way. Work gets in the way. Um, our bodies do not always look as sexy as we would like them to, and our self-esteem is going to get in the way of that as well. 
You don't feel sexy, you don't want to have sex. That's how a lot of people operate, isn't it? And then as you get older and that happens less and less and less, well, when you're old and you don't have that as often, well, who is it that you married? Suddenly you have to rush to get to know each other. It really is a three-legged stool. You have your headship. You have your sex. You also have deep, wonderful friendship. Whenever somebody says, oh, communication is essential in any relationship, especially marriage, well, okay, yes, but that communication should be conducive to husband and wife being best friends with one another. And I know some people hearing this are going to be like, husbands and wives being friends cringe and then they do their little guitar solo or whatever but it's true husbands are coming home to somebody they're going to be spending the bulk of their time with somebody and that should be their wife and that should include the fun stuff somebody is going to object to this three-legged stool idea by saying well, it's really about devotion, okay? A family that prays together stays together, and that's how it is. Well, that's the husband's job. It's not the wife's job. The husband is supposed to make sure that the family is devout. There are times in which I have heard people say, Oh, my job is to make sure my husband goes to heaven, just like me. No. No, that's literally his job. If he's not doing his job, that's a tragedy. That's a terrible thing. And St. Peter addresses it in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in the first verse. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Does your husband suck at his job as a husband? Well, okay, be a good wife then. If he's not obeying the word of our God to him, to put himself last, to work overtime, do the second shift, all of that stuff, if he's not doing that, the answer to that is to be a better wife. Not that it's your fault if he is screwing up. It is that he is not going to listen to you nagging him or complaining at him. Maybe you can mention some stuff. Maybe you can bring up what the Bible says. But ultimately, that man is going to be won over by having a woman who is submissive, friendly, honoring him, and who has good conduct as a woman. And I know that the objection is going to be, but what if he is abusive? And what if he's just a worthless man? What if he is abusive? Well, the first problem that I have with the word abusive is that the Duluth model of relationship abuse has made the term so broad as to mean nothing. It's just anything that you want to call abuse to justify your actions. Is he abusive as in he beats you every night? 
you don't have a normal face anymore, your, your nose goes sideways, that's one definition of abuse. But abuse also says, um, he said, I can't go out in leggings in a tube top at a club where I would dance with other men. You know, I told him I wasn't going to cheat on him, but I also said I wanted to grind on other guys in the club. He said, no, that's abuse. And my friends are telling me to divorce him. I'm inclined to do that. Every divorce lawyer who represents a woman in a divorce, these days they tell the ex-wife to say, he abused me. And they find whatever example they can that they can spin into abuse to say, yes, she is justified in divorcing him and taking all of his stuff. That's not Christian. A more Christian way to look at this is if your husband is beating you, physically attempting to harm or mutilate you, get out of there. Escape. That is a cause for separation. The same would go if he's trying to make you do sexual acts which are contrary to the word of God. A man who demands a threesome or demands a quote-unquote open relationship is an adulterer and should be divorced. Those are actual things. But using words that are these weasel words to get whatever you want, like abuse, you know, I just never felt like I was good enough with him. Well, that is not an excuse to leave the man and have your way or to not submit to your husband. And I understand there are people listening to this that are going to get very upset because nobody has ever told you this before. You are used to a pastor getting up there behind the pulpit and beating the men up for hours. Mark Driscoll screaming, How dare you! at all of the men in his congregation and thousands of others because men are the only ones that have responsibilities. At least in this culture, men have responsibilities, women have rights. But the biblical way of looking at it includes women having responsibilities and duties in marriage. And that is submission and friendship. And sex, too, but we will get to that in the next uh, installment because both husband and wife owe sex to each other. I digress. Now, that said, does this mean you are a limp doormat in marriage? I've already said this shouldn't be the quote-unquote handmaid's tale characterization of it where women are these silent slaves to their husbands. No, there's so much friendship that should be going on in a marriage that it couldn't possibly be that way. But also this notion that a wife has no authority in the household whatsoever is silly. Proverbs 31 describes a woman who is a doer. And for her children, the Bible describes a woman who is a teacher, somebody who raises her children up. So you are the first officer of the home. Captain and first officer model here. A husband should not have to be some make every decision ever control freak over the house. If he is, I would say the man is in sin because he's treating his family roughly not the way that Christ treats the church. A wife should be the eyes and the ears of the home to tell her husband, we have a problem here in X, Y, or Z place. 
I need your help. And the husband is the man who's supposed to put his family before himself and his wife before himself should say, okay, toilets backlogged? All right, I'll go try and fix it. Oh my goodness, we need more groceries? All right, let's go get some. Here is all this stuff that you are on the lookout as the scout, the executive officer of the family with a lot of judgment calls and leeway to help things run smoothly. I've compared husbands to warlords because it's way better of a description than some flimsy powdered wig king. You're supposed to be a warlord king getting stuff done. But Attila the Hun would have been nothing without his brother Bleda doing things along with him and helping make sure that the Hunnic enterprise worked as intended. That is a wife's job. She is the first officer, second in command of the family that helps run things smoothly and lets the leader know, here's what we got to get done. I need help with this. Does the buck stop with the husband? He's the one with the final word on what happens? Yes. God is the ultimate authority and God has delegated that to the husband. But Further stuff should be delegated to the wife so she is not just the slave chained to the radiator being quiet and never speaking unless spoken to. A relationship like that with some limp, soulless woman, that's not a marriage, that's concubinage. That's somebody just being there to fulfill commands from the husband and then lay there and think of England while they're in the bed. But... If husbands are called to be strong, vital, and powerful leaders of their homes, wives are called to be strong, second-in-command, first officers of the home, and best friends to their husbands. Next week we will talk about, well, the physical side of things. In a series like Sex and Marriage, I'm sure people see the word sex and get all giddy, so next week we'll get into that and get into the stuff that makes people giddy and like giggly or whatever. And that's fine. Just bear in mind it's going to be a lot of stuff that I shouldn't have to tell people, but I guess these days I do. But until then, our Lord bless you and keep you, especially in your marriages. Amen and amen. <laughs>